You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome, everybody, to a, it's a special episode. episode. I'm excited. I don't get nervous for many shows, Tim. I'm a little nervous for this one. Uh, I'll be honest. This guy was a guy I grew up watching. I played against him. He sat me down one time, and when I was in Arizona, and gave me a little a stern warning. I better not be a bad boy that year. <laughs> it's the Hall of Famer. He's done everything. He's got under his belt a Norris Trophy, a Hart Trophy, gold medal, Stanley Cups. He's got all the awards. Chris Pronger. Thanks for joining the show, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So let's get down. The reason you're here, obviously, all your on-ice stuff, a mile long. We, we could have a two-hour conversation about how great you are, and I'm sure you love talking about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I want to do all day long. <laughs> Just stare in the mirror and talk, talk yeah. to yourself all day. You're great, Chris. I'm a really good self-backpatter. <laughs> so good. But you're here because of the tweets you've been tweeting out. You've, you've dipped your toe in the Twitterverse. Very risky thing to do. People just attack you. But you brought up some interesting stuff. And now I want you to speak on this because it, it all revolves around hockey players or finances, how we manage our money. Everybody has this perception of hockey players where, oh, he's in the NHL. The guy's got to be loaded, set for life. Yeah. That's not always that true. So what was your reasoning behind just – starting this conversation yeah i uh i joined twitter quietly i think uh in the new year came in with a whimper (laughs) (laughs) and then uh uh was down in austin met with a friend of mine actually from st louis sam parr and he recently had a liquidity event you know sold his company he's got a ton of money and we just start talking about finances start talking about he started asking questions about athletes and and he's, you know, very vocal on Twitter and, and does a lot of stuff. And uh, he's like, you know, you should you should talk about this and, and just walk people through the logistics and the details of how it how it works, because there's guys like me that made a ton of money. And there's guys down at the bottom that up and down the minors like my brother, you know, he played 240 games in the league. But I mean, he wasn't exactly set for life. Yeah. You know, Everybody thinks, oh, 200 games. He's got he's got this great pension. He's got this. He's got that. I'm like, I mean, realistically, playing in the minors, you probably need a second job in the summer to to, to finance your training and and preparation. If you know, and then if you have a family, you got to figure all that out. So it's not as cut and dry and as simple. And then you know, being young, you know, how many 18, 19, 20 year olds typically you're in college having fun, getting drunk with your friends. And now you've got a million dollars, $2 million, whatever it is. Well, of course, you're 18 years old. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Because, you know, that's something that you've always dreamed of. With my first signing bonus, I'm going to do this or do that. And, you know, essentially you start spending like a drunken sailor. And next thing you know, you look down and you're like, okay, hey, now what? What do I do? Oh, I got to open a banking account to get a checking account. I got to, what do I do with all this money? And it, it can be daunting for, a, you know, a young athlete, a young kid, you know, quasi turning into a man at times. And, 
you got to grow up very fast. And, and unfortunately, at times, there's predators out there looking to scam people and looking to, you just don't know who to trust. Yeah, so and, if, I, if I'm if i a casual fan and I see these tweets come across my my feed, I go, why is Chris Pronger? Let me just dink, 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 cap friendly, dink it up there. It says here Chris has made $111 million in his career. <laughs> now, why is he complaining about NHL players? Yeah. Maybe not? What? So what do you say? And I've, I've heard, I've seen a few people, I don't care, I make X. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not speaking to those people. Okay. I'm speaking to the people that, a want to learn, B the other athletes that follow and then follow on, uh, and C to to kind of open people's eyes to yes, it's a lot of money. I'm not saying it's not a lot of money. What I'm saying is, how many people do you know? You know, I hear people, oh, I would buy a Toyota Camry. No, you wouldn't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know any person. There might I think I read a story about a football player that did it. Yeah. But other than that, I've never heard of a guy coming in and getting a used car even paul korea bought a car that was brand new he might have drove it for 10 years but he bought a brand new car and it was an acura so it was a, so, still a nice car did you see like what's the biggest horror story because i played with guys i actually was talking with tim about this once we were we knew you were going to come on and he asked me like what's the biggest horror story and and i played with the first round draft pick high draft pick top three i'm not going to name him now because he just retired but he couldn't even um pay his own credit card he, yeah. he didn't even have access to any of his stuff. He gave power of attorney to his agent. Yeah. And it was very eye-opening to me because I went to university. I had to do everything myself, like driver's license, insurance, all this stuff. He couldn't do anything. It was a complete, just, he was a hockey player. That's all he was. Yeah. Did, was that yeah. common when you were playing? Because I know, you know, when I first started in 93, the average salary, I think was 300,000. Yeah. So you had guys making 150. And then guys, you know, guys, I came in, I had a signing bonus and I was making, my salary was 600. So I was already double a lot of the guys that I was playing with and then some. Um, but yeah, like I, I know lots of, they're, 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 they just sign over everything. Like, I don't want to deal with it. You deal with it. And unfortunately, that's when bad things happen. I was always of the mindset, you need to know where your money is. You need to know where it's going. Yeah, I'm not doing the day-to-day trading. I'm not doing the buying and selling. I don't know how to do that. But those that's why you're paying those people. But you have to, if they're going to move the money to another bank account, you need to approve that. If they're going to move the money and buy a house, you've got to approve that. You've got to sign yeah. up. And when they sign over power of attorney and you got guys paying bills and you got guys doing this and that, unfortunately, that's when bad things happen. Well, you see the Jack Johnson situation where his parents totally fleeced him for tens of millions of dollars. Did you notice a difference? Because you mentioned, guys, minimum is 150, and that's not a lot of money. Back then, maybe it was, you yeah. know, inflation, time moves on. You started off making 600. You went to almost 10 million bucks a season. Did you notice a difference between the players, what they drove to the rink, the kind of houses they lived, you know, the, their wives, the people they hung out with? Did it change pretty quick? Because the salaries jumped up fast. Yeah. You know, I, I think. Yes and no. I, I think most hockey players have a pretty good radar on people and, and know who the hangers on are. And, you know, some guys are okay with it and some guys aren't, you know, I didn't like having back patterns around. I didn't need people around telling me, Oh, Hey man, you're good. Uh, frankly, I kind of went the other way. I'm like, I don't want to be around people that are like that. And yeah, you drive a nice car. You know, some guys, you know, I, I had nice cars too. You know, like, 
now I have one car. I don't, what am I going to do with the other one? Uh, some people are car collectors. Some people, you know, they can make money on it. You know, like Tamu Solana, he's got a crap load of cars and he's, he buys and sells them. Yeah. And makes money off them. So, you know, if you're doing it as an investment and you're buying the proper cars, yes. But, you know, some guys are spending a lot of money on some of these cars. And as my dad always told me, who was an accountant, he's like, if you're buying a $50,000 car, it's costing you a hundred. Yeah. You gotta, everything. Pre, pre-tax, you're spending the post-tax money, but you're actually got to earn the pre-tax money first. So, so what do you say to these young guys then coming up who are making the big bucks? And I, it doesn't look like they have the background, the education, the just the wherewithal to know what to do. Is there anything in place? Like you were in the system, you worked for the NHL. There was nothing in place when I was in the NHL. It was just like, here's a big, big paycheck. You're on your own. Is there anything now? Should yeah, there be you know, I, I've, I've talked to a few people over the last you know week or two about it as these tweets have kind of gone viral. The, there's a program in place that, that the league has, uh, you know, and, and as you know, everything has to be with the NHLPA and it's got to yeah. be certified and, you know, that's a bargaining thing and you know how that works. Yeah. Um, th- there is a little bit of a financial thing, but it's encompassed in uh, like sexual harassment and ho- league operations. And, you know, it's over a three day deal and it's a smaller, you know, it's a small part of, all the information that they're being given. And as we know with finances, I mean, it's, it's complicated. And, you know, I guess the, the easiest thing to do is start small and figure out how much knowledge you have on the subject and then kind of, you know, siphon off and parcel off people here, people there and kind of talk about where they are at in, in their understanding. But, you, you know, you know how it is with these guys. They don't pay attention. Yeah. The <laughs> so hardest thing it's never going to be me. It's not, yeah. gonna be, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to have a 15 year career. Yeah. Uh, and this is never going to end. That's the hardest thing that I had to wrap my head around. And going back, you see these guys and it's like, okay, they're going to get a house, get their parents, a house, get a car, get all these fancy clothes. And it's like, they just expect these paychecks to continue. And then all of a sudden it dries up and then you catch up with them three years down the road and they're broke as a joke and they're doing hockey yeah. schools in their hometown trying to get by. Yeah. So it is a real thing. And I, and I think it's a good thing you're doing. What is the end game for this little financial thing? You went into it just to kind of shed some light on it. Would you like to, well, I'm not done yet. There's a you're lot of them yet. coming. I'm what working else on is coming? I'm working on lots. I don't what have you- them done. I'm just going to keep kind of going down the, the pl- going down the platform. I mean, there's a lot of, different financial things that you can talk about and kind of break down. You know, I picked a random guy that made 6 million bucks. I mean, yeah. you start going down to the, and to break it down to the averages and say a four-year average making 2 million. And then you extrapolate out of that. And depending upon how the cost of living and how somebody wants to live their life and are they crazy and spend a spender or are they going to be frugal and, and save people also. And again, when I say this, I'm not complaining. I'm not whining. Yeah. What I'm saying is it's a fact. A player retires at 26 or 27. They got a long runway. They probably, they could still be single, maybe, you know, and, and then they get a wife, they get kids, they get whatever it is. Then what? Like, you got to be able to have that money last, allegedly. People think, oh, he's set for life. He doesn't have to work. Well, yeah, you're, you're going to have to, actually. Yeah, you need money coming in. Um, so it kind of more using it as a platform to kind of wake 
athletes up, so to speak. Yeah. And also, you know, talk to, I've had uh, some great conversations with some different financial people and just how, how to dumb it down or make it easier to speak to whether it's the PA, whether it's the, you know, the players themselves and be like, yeah. you, you have to take it more serious. I, I got hurt. Uh, I was 28, I think when I, I broke my arm, I literally, I, I played the next year and then I, I, I can't play anymore. I, I had to get it fixed. And I thought my career was over. Yeah. 28. So I played another 10 years, but I, I had to start thinking. I was thinking right then, if I'm done, what am I doing? You yeah. Know? It would be great if there was a framework for different salary bases. Cause I, <clears throat> I was always around the 1 million mark. It'd be great if there was something when I came into the league that said, okay, you make a million bucks. You want to save this amount. This is what you, this is what you have to spend for the year. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that, that would be fantastic. Cause most guys, I was lucky enough. I went to university. I had my wife. She's like, you're a terrible hockey player. <laughs> this is a blessing. You're going to last one year. Like, yeah. let's just save as much as we can. And then I signed yeah. another contract. She's like, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> this is it. Let's, let's save as much as we can. And it was every year. She's like, you're fooling these guys, but you suck at hockey. I see everybody else. You're not good. So we locked out and saved as much, but it'd be cool if there was like, okay, you make 4 million. Here's a million. Yeah. You can go and buy toys with, let's put this 600 grand away. To reverse like engineer it and figure out. Yeah. Like I know. I know when I, when I was playing here, there was a financial advisor that said, okay, 70% of you, what you make, you have to give to me. And then we have 30 to play with. Yeah. And from that, depending upon the lifestyle that we think you want to live post, I may take another tranche of that. And, but you got a lot, you got to have a finite number off the bat. How much am I saving? Yeah, and, exactly. And don't even touch it and just have it pushed over here to the side and like, okay, this is actually what I have. Yeah. Because, it, you know, as that direct deposit goes into your account, it then gets siphoned right out, right into your, right into your account. You know, it's just a swipe. It's in, you don't even see it. That's what we did. We did. And mind you, I was in a different area code than you were, but we would go, I would get like 25 grand each paycheck. I would take 10 right off the top and save it. And then I would have 15 grand for that two weeks, you know, rent, fun, whatever, it, you know, it goes because you live that lifestyle. What were you I driving? About it. People what were you also, living in? That's what I want to know. People don't, <laughs> people don't realize too, that we only get 13 paychecks. Yeah. You know, you get paid from October 15th to April 15th. That's yep. it. And then, and for those guys that are living paycheck to paycheck, they got six months of no, no paycheck coming in. And again, it's not the, well, I'm not playing the, what was me car. I'm just saying some people aren't paying attention. They don't realize some athletes don't realize that they need to save money for the summertime for training expenses, for food, for all to blow it out to go yeah. and have a couple of vacations yeah. and have some fun. Yeah. Like you're going home, you want to show off, you want to buy two, three rounds of drinks for the for the boys <laughs> at the bar. You know, I'm I'm in the show. It's, you're it's rich, good. you're in the show. <laughs> yeah, like let's go pick up the tab, John boy. I'm like, I don't have anything. I don't have a dime to my call my wife. Maybe she can open up some funds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's brutal. But Tim, Tim, do you have anything? You're 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 a multimillionaire, Tim. How how do you manage your money? Yeah, same thing, same principles, whether you play in the NHL or not, it's the same, the, the numbers add up the same way. So good question, John. Well, no, I, let's, let's go. We'll, we'll go back to your hockey career real quick and we'll come back to this because this is super interesting. It's so weird because, okay, I'm going to stay on this a little bit. 
you you retired, right? Yeah. And let's talk about post-retirement. Then we'll go into your career because yeah, I'm more interested in your post-retirement because everybody is all geared up for their hockey career. And then once you hang up your skates, it's just you have no idea what you want to do. Yeah. And you mentioned that you almost, you know, had to retire at 28. And then you had some major injuries along the way in your career. Did that help you prep for when you were done? Yeah. Were you already game planning for that? Yeah. Be, you know, and I tell people this too. I'm like, in order to play a physical sport like we play, you have to play like you're invincible. You can't think, oh, when am I going to be done? You yep. don't want to have that conversation. And, you know, I had, I had a couple events, you know, I had the, the, the arm injury, then I had a knee injury, you know, and then obviously I had the, the career one, but yep. you have to look at it and go, and, and I was always interested in business and, you know, always kind of kicking around the fringes of looking at stuff and just, it interested me. And so I was always reading books on it and talking to people and asking questions and talking to my financial guy about, well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? You know, what about this? It's like, well, it's a little bit riskier. Do you really, you know, and, and you come up with a theory. Okay. You've already hit a home run. And this is where I think a lot of players when they are investing go wrong. Why not hit singles and doubles? Yeah. Just let it roll over. You've already hit your home run. They're pushing it all back in and trying to hit another home run. Cause they want to live like Kevin Durant, LeBron James flying around in private jets and doing all that stuff. And you don't have to. You can live a very comfortable, nice life by just hitting singles and doubles. I've gambled. I don't know. I don't know if you like Vegas. I enjoy Vegas, and I, I we used to go when I was in San Jose. We'd go with all the guys. I'm sure you know Joe. <laughs> and I tell you what, I've never been more nervous for somebody else's money in my whole entire yeah. life when he's dropping like six digit bets on the blackjack table. Oh yeah, it's just. No. Can you? Is there I any never, story? I never got into gambling. I never. My first year in Hartford, all the guys had Harleys. All the, I mean, all, all, like there were, we probably had ten guys wheeling up to practice on a Harley. What right? in Hartford? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't. You didn't have to wear a helmet. Oh, it smart. It was awesome, right? Well, back then, and um, and so, I, you know, I'm like, this is cool, right? I'm looking at, it, going, that'd be, that'd be, it looks like fun. I went home the next summer. A buddy of mine had like a little street bike, and I my my cabin was just over the hill. We were playing softball. And I, I forgot my glove. Let me borrow your bike. I'm just doing 40 kilometers. I'm not, and that's what, 25 miles an hour. I'm not even going very fast. Yeah. I'm just kind of putting along. And I was on a just a casual turn, and I hit a little bit of sand. And oh, the bike no. slid, and my heart was like over there. I was like, oh, my God. And after that, I I, draw, I came back on the bike, basically walking it, and I handed him the keys. I'm like, I'm done. Not going to happen. And then not that long after, if you remember Jay Williams, the Duke basketball player, yep. you know, third overall pick in the NBA draft, you know, ruined his career on a bike. See, you're you're the exception. You're not the norm. That's That's <laughs> the tricky part where most guys are like, yeah. Yeah, we're doing this. I'm going to get yeah. two Harleys, and I'm going to ride them one on each yeah. leg. So, all right, well, you mentioned Hartford, and I, I wanted to touch on this because I went the college route. You committed to go to Bowling Green, play with your brother. It was all set up, and then you backed out and went to the draft and went to Peterborough because you got picked up by the by the Peets in the fifth round, something ridiculous uh, like that. No, I, I, so I was going to college. Yeah, so, what happened? So back then, I mean, again, no internet, no phones, no nothing. All I had was a hockey digest once a week to read. You know, really didn't know much about the OHL. 
Uh, a friend of ours had gone to play a couple years earlier, was a quasi tough guy with the Sioux. And so I was playing junior B in Stratford. And I had another year of school before I could go to college. Yep. I had to finish my grade, grade 12 year. And, you know, I was not totally maxed out, but I was pretty close to maxing out the competition level in junior B. And going back, you know, I went down and looked at Peterborough. I, I went, I had my recruiting visits all set. I was going to bowl. I'd already been in Bowling Green, so I wasn't going to go there. I was going to Denver, North Dakota, Michigan State, Michigan, and Maine. And at the time, I it would I would have been on the Maine powerhouse with Pellerin, Therian, Garth Snow, Korea, Jim Montgomery. Oh, wow. That was the year that I was yeah. going to be going there. Uh, Korea and I would have been there together at the same time. And so I was like, I don't know if I can go. I don't know if I want to go back one more year to junior B and kind of get stale. I need to keep the com- competitive juices going and and be pressed against some some top competition and kind of get into that NHL schedule. Again, I cut a good deal to sign there. This is when you could do your own deals and put in your own school budgets and all that yeah. kind of stuff. They didn't have the template they have now. And, you know, went to training camp for the 48-hour rule. You know, was playing against guys that were first-round picks, second-round picks, guys that were top prospects. And I'm like, I just kind of looked around like these guys aren't that good, you know, because the media builds them up to be, you know, comparatively speaking, I'm like, they're talking about like they're the next coming. And I'm like, well, they're not that good. And I'm like, well, I mean, I could play here. So I, I cut the deal signed in Peterborough and (laughs) And you had a pretty good rookie year. Holy boy. (laughs) And then that year, my rookie year, I got to play against Lindros. This is a year he held out in Quebec. Okay. Um, you know, played against some some good players. So was able to learn a lot. I was a late birthday, so I had another year before the next draft. And then so I had I got two years in, in junior. What did your brother say? He's like, Chris, come on. Uh, well, no, come he on, was man. having a good time. <laughs> I didn't care. Hey, I'm, I don't know. I always look back. You know, we, you always play the what if game. What if you would have went this way instead of that way? Go a national and, championship. And you go back Maine. and you're like – I don't know where I would have been because, uh, as you know, college is pretty fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were, yeah. College is very fun. So, yeah. well, all right. You went to Peterborough. You had a great junior career. You get drafted second overall. I caught this quote from Alexander Degg. I'm, good, huh? I'm sure you've heard of this. <laughs> so he goes, I'm glad I got drafted first because no one remembers number two. Yeah. Do you ever text him like every week? Be like, how many, how many hey, whacks behind the knee do you think he got? <laughs> But did that what what the balls on this guy to say that? And then, by the way, was dressed in a nurse's uniform. What? Okay, what? He did a photo shoot after he got drafted, and he, you know, they had him in. They set up like twelve different pictures. One of them, he was in a nurse's uniform. What? 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 What is that for? What did you dress up in? I wasn't. No, just him alone. <laughs> I got to wear my whaler's uniform. <laughs> so what was it like being drafted number two overall? We'll briefly touch on this. Like I, I never got drafted. Tim never got drafted. Number two. Did you expect to go number one? Were you expecting no. that? Or did you oh, know I knew, was one? I knew he was going number one. He had already signed his contract. He was going number one. Okay. Uh, the intrigue of the draft was San Jose had the second pick. Um, then Tampa had the third pick. The fourth pick was, uh, Florida, 
The fifth was uh, was uh, Anaheim. No, or they might have been inverted. It might have been four Anaheim, five um, Florida, and then six was San Jose. Or pardon okay. me, was Hartford. So Hartford was close enough, and San Jose at the second pick loved Victor Kozlov. They loved him. I mean, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars going to Russia to scout this guy. And, I mean, they basically told me when I went in for my interview, we don't need another defenseman. So Don't even bother. They knew they could get him later in the draft because he was slipping down the draft boards. Mm -hmm. And so Berkey made the trade. Uh, He had previously traded for Makarov to to flip him in this trade. Yeah. And he flipped uh, picks. Makarov, um, another you know third fourth round pick, and then uh, to 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 move up. So you knew Berkey was was high on you. He wanted to yeah. take you. Yeah, because in the meeting, so I met with. I don't know. I didn't even meet with Ottawa. There's yeah. another reason why I wasn't going. <laughs> I don't think they met with anybody. Uh, I met with every team uh, down. Yeah, I probably met with a number of teams. Uh, Rangers, Dallas, Quebec. Yeah, was I, even well, there. I met with the Rangers because Keenan was still there. Yeah. Uh, and he was a former Pete. So they were trying to trade up to get me. I think Detroit was trying to trade up. Uh, there was a few other teams that were trying to move up, but they were they wanted Kozlov bad enough that it had to be in a certain range in the draft. Yeah. And Hartford, the slotting where Hartford was fit perfectly for. You know, I was – I'm looking at the draft now. Niedermeyer gets picked fifth. Okay, Curry so they, gets picked yeah. fourth. Yeah. Gratton gets picked third. That's a pretty good run of players there. Yeah. Two, three, four, five, and Stink and Daggle chirping you guys. That's funny. <laughs> it's so funny how it works out like that. Yeah. It's like, suck it, buddy. Okay. <clears throat> Tim and I were talking before we came on, and this is totally, it just popped in my mind. You and Niedermeyer, not Rob Scott. Mm-hmm. You guys were partners, epic in Anaheim. Like, just arguably the best two defensemen ever played together in the history of hockey. And then we were just chopping it up. Oh, what other good pairings, you know, are, are out there. Then we got to in San Jose, you mentioned the San Jose sharks. I played there. I know these guys. I want to get your, your take on this and you might not want to talk about it, but why doesn't Burns and Carlson work? they're the two best defensemen back to back Norris Burns is physical. Carlson's a puck mover. Very similar to you and Niedermeyer. You know, you're physical. You can get up in the rush. He's just swift and takes care of business. Why did they? Why are they not working? Why didn't that work out for San Jose? Uh, first and foremost, because neither one of them wants to play defense. That's, that's an issue. You know, like if you look at Scotty, super competitive defensively. You know, he's not run you through the boards physical, but yeah. he gets India. Like he's aggressive in trying to get the puck. He's aggressive in pinning you against the boards. He's pretty strong for his size. Um, yeah, Burns is physical, but he's not. There's a lot of holes in his defensive game. Yeah, he's not that overly physical. I agree. You know, so you know he'll have big open ice hits. You know, he he'll catch it coming across the middle. But he, you know, he's got bad shoulders. He does. He's always turning. He's doing the Rob Blake butt butt hit all the time. Yeah, and. Carlson, I mean, he doesn't want to play defense either. So, you know, everybody, you know, if you're just running offense, yeah, it's great. But as we know, there is that other end of the rink, and occasionally you do get pinned in there. And when there's too many holes or they don't want to go in a corner to get a puck or they don't want – it, you're picking the puck out of your net too often. 
and they do it a lot. You got these guys on the ice. They make ten million bucks, so they they gotta do something. But right, I was just getting. I, that's interesting. I, I and think by the way, that's another food for thought. <laughs> they make too much money. They make, you know, they like make. you got. And by the way, you forgot Vlasic. He makes eight. Pickles makes eight and a half. Yeah, and now that you thing. got you got about thirty million bucks in three guys that are all over thirty, over thirty five almost. Yeah, it's yeah. not good. It's no. not good. No, they're 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 in trouble there with that. The well, back. I'll touch on this too. You mentioned this: the contracts, the structures, the guys are still there. When you retired, you said my ultimate goal is to be a GM. That's why you went to the player safety. You did that for a couple of years. Is that still a goal of yours? Is that still you know on the bucket list things you want to do? Uh, you know what? I, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be an NHL player first and foremost. But secondly, yeah. I loved the big picture, putting teams together, the chemistry, the, you know, how the pizzas sliced up. And yeah. it was always very interesting to me, the, the dynamic in putting together a team. Uh, I went down the path, <laughs> I, I saw it, and I'm good. <laughs> you saw the underbelly of the beast. <laughs> I, I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's, it, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And, you know, you have to, you have to be all in 24, seven, 365. Like it's, 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 it's an investment in your time. Yeah. It's a detraction from your family. It's a detraction from, you know, a lot of things because you have to be focused solely on, especially as a GM managing not only the day-to-day operations, but the big picture of the operations. Yeah. You have a salary cap guy and assistant GM, uh, you know, coaching staff and, you know, other staff around you. But, you know, when you look at a head coach and I, I had Joel when his hair was black, <laughs> I had Mac T. I played with Mac T when his hair was brown. <laughs> you know how fast these guys turn gray? You it's know, stressful. It, there's a it's reason a lot. for it. So it uh there's a lot of stress involved. And frankly, I didn't I don't need it. I don't yeah. have to have it. And I saw the inner workings and I saw how it is. And you know, I tell people I wouldn't say never but it would take something pretty special to want me to invest my time in something. Hello, everybody. It's time to get some food and you know how to do that. You go to DoorDash. I love DoorDash. Chris Bronger loves DoorDash, I bet. He just loves to eat. Look at him. He's an animal. So go to DoorDash right now. Enter promo code GlovesDD if you're in Canada. GlovesDD if you're in GlovesDD US if you're in the USA. Get yourself 25% off, free delivery. It's a beautiful company. You get nice deals when you work with us. So check it out, DoorDash. Use it on your phone, your iPad, all that gorgeous internet stuff. Promo code GlovesDD if you're in Canada. GlovesDD US if you're in the USA. Check it out. Do you see teams that make moves, whether it's at the deadline or in the offseason, you just shake your head. You're like, what are we doing here? Teams you've played on, like in Edmonton Oilers, where they just like, you have the two best players. What's going on here? Do you just shake your head at the GM? Like, why are we ruining these guys' careers? Yeah, I think all the time. But, I mean, that's until you're in their shoes and until you understand the dynamic, we don't know what the owner's telling them. We don't know what – information he's getting his staff around him because again as a gm you're hiring you're hiring people to be your eyes and ears for the draft for pro scouting yeah you have a you see players but you're you're focused on your team you need you know as some of the most astute gms have said you need to know your team like the back of your hand so that you know the pieces that you need 
the pieces that if you need to go get something you can use and you're not going to subtract from your team or the core in order to win and, and win a championship. And, um, you know, we see the same teams make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And you see the, the well-run teams that are always at the top make, make the same good decisions over and over and over again. And you're like, yeah, there's a reason. And, and how some of these teams don't pick up on what these other teams are doing. I, I, I don't know why. What's the one thing you think you got to build your team around? You've won Stanley cup. You you've won Olympic gold. Is it the defense? Is it the goaltender? Is it strong down the middle? What, if, if you're a GM and you're starting a team, what is your yeah. first piece? Uh, well, I don't know what the first piece is, but you, you have to build the hardest places to find are up the middle goalie, okay. defense, and center. You can get wingers that can complement a good centerman. You can't get a really good center that can complement a winger. Mm-hmm. It's too hard. They're too valuable. They cost too much money. <laughs> so you've got to build through the middle and then piece piecemeal in from there. Um, if you have, if I had a choice between like uh, an elite number one defenseman, a number one center and a goalie, I'd probably pick the defenseman. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's going to be more important. The most important obviously is the goalie. You're going to win. You win with, you win and lose with a goalie, but you can kind of hide them a little bit with how you defend. I agree. Yeah. And then up the middle, you know, it depends on how elite that center is, but if, if they're even I'm taking the D man. Because they're harder to find. Yeah, I agree. And you look at your career. You look at where you've bounced around. You've been on a you know a part of a few trades. I always found it interesting. You went to good teams, right? You went from Hartford. You go to St. Louis. St. Louis was a good team. You go there. You vault up to a Stanley Cup contender. You leave St. Louis. You go to Edmonton. Right to the Stanley Cups. You leave Edmonton. You go to Annie, Anaheim. Stanley Cup contender. Anaheim to Philadelphia. Stanley Cup contender. Were, were you the missing piece? Were you the guy? Do you think that just brought that extra thing? It just, it was obvious when you got traded to a team, it was just like Stanley Cup contender. And these weren't, you know, garbage teams. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was me. No, good answer. <laughs> All right, you're right. <laughs> um, I, I would say, in of all the teams, I would say Anaheim, I was kind of the missing piece. Yeah. We had, we had played them when I was in Edmonton the year before. We beat them in the, in the conference finals to, to go to the finals. Um, that w- I think they needed one more defenseman and, and Berkey basically said the same thing. We just needed to add another defenseman that kind of played the way that I did and could play both ends of the rink and provide offense, you know, shut down defense. Um, you know, and probably my leadership to supplement Scotty. We're, we're obviously two different people. He's very calm, yeah. you know, composed, you know, obviously won three cups prior to me getting there. I think three, maybe three, three, I think. Yeah. Um, that was his fourth. And, you know, had been there, done that. He was the only player on that team that had won a cup, believe it or not. So we had a lot of hungry guys. Um, and then having the taste of losing in the conference finals the year before against us in Edmonton, you know, that team was on a mission and really knew what the end game was, knew what the goal was, and and everybody, ownership, management, coaches, players, training staff, you know, building staff, everybody. I mean, it was, it was impressive how focused we were. You know, we had a couple blips during the course of the regular season when, you know, we, I got, Scotty got hurt. I got hurt. Um, You know, at the end of the year, Jiggy had his, uh, you know, 
kid issue. And so we had a lot of different events that kind of really galvanized the team and brought us together even closer. It was a tight knit group. We could play tough. We could play finesse. We could play tight defense. We, you know, pick your poison. We can do it. And so it was a, a fun team to play on because we could almost go into a game and go, how do you guys want to play today? Yeah, let's do it. Go, what do you want to do? <laughs> was that do the it. best? Was that the best team you played on? Yeah, from from top to bottom, and just yeah. from, from what I was saying, like from a fun perspective of, you know, do we want to play six five tonight? Do we want to dial it in and two one it tonight? You know, do we want to play, you know, tough hockey? Do we want to, you know, how do we want to do it? And and you know, look at the other team and kind of sometimes we would dictate it, and sometimes we'd kind of sit back and go, how do you guys want to play? <laughs> So speaking speaking of the Ducks, Ryan Getzloff just announced that he's going to retire at the end of the year. Uh, big news right now in the hockey world. He's been there forever. Can you share a little bit about just what it was like to play with him on the ice, off the ice, what he's like as a player and as a person? Great. When I, you know, when I play with him, great kid. Um, you know, and, and when you look at organizations and how they manage young kids, you know, Berkey's old school, you know, Getz, he's a first-round pick along with Perry, same draft. They bring these two kids in. They, they, they could have played in the NHL, but they put them in the minors, you know, season them a little bit, give them a little bit of that grit. Like, I need, I should be there. What You know, piss them off a little bit, have them go up and down a little bit, played them on the fourth line with uh, Fedoric that first year they were up. And, you know, they were able to kind of ease their way in and, and kind of, you know, play that fourth line role but providing offense and, and Fridge was a great line mate for them that year. And then that the year I got there, it was their second year. They were now our second line wow. kind of learning, learn, experiencing the league, learning, you know, what they needed to do night in night out. And, and, you know, even when I got there, Randy Carlisle was always on them about preparation, creating a routine, uh, you know, how to be a pro, you know, and then obviously we had a, you know, a lot of older guys, and we were able to help kind of hammer that home, that message home to make sure, like, we're here to win. You know, yeah, we want to have a good time, and we will have a good time. But our job is to win. And, you know, yeah, we're there are some conversations <laughs> along the way, like, hey, you guys need to come to the back of the bus for a second. We need to talk. And, and just be like, listen, we're all for you guys having a good time. But, like, this is our job. You know, and, and, and as you know, John, you're not the one that's getting shit when, when we were losing. Yeah. It's Jonathan Taves. It's Patrick Kane. You're, you're a terrible leader. Why can't you fix this team? Why can't like, you know, I'm like, listen, I'm the one that has to answer the media. Scotty's got to answer the media. Berkey and Randy got to answer the media. You get to go be a 21 year old uh, down on the peninsula. <laughs> so, so was it. That's that's bizarre that even you guys who were like you you were good the whole season long and you're still having that issues of just like well, people not, questioning not a, and not an issue more yeah. of just teaching like explaining yeah. and and more like hey listen at some point you're going to be having this conversation with kids your age when you're our age and it's funny like how it comes full circle I ran into Getsy a few years ago at one of the awards things and I said how's it going Captain. <laughs> 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 that was the conversation because they were struggling, you know, they were struggling getting, getting players to buy into the system, struggling with, you know, different things. I said, not so easy when you're the one on the hot seat. You was know, that you, one of the hardest things you, you've been a captain, you've been an assistant, you've been in a leadership role a long time. 
Is that the hardest thing trying to rein in a young guy who just wants to go and do things his own way because he just had success his whole life doing things yeah. one way? Uh, I think I, especially with that team, it on it obviously helped with Berkey being old school, yeah. Randy being old school. We had a lot of old school guys on our team and it was more like we play hard and yeah, at moments we can party hard, but, yeah. but listen, there's, there's a green light and there's a red light. Not too often. There's a flashing yellow <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta know when that is. And, and it's really about teaching them like how it works. I my first year in Hartford, the moment the schedule came out in the summer, I went in to train in the summer. I'm looking at, we had some bets, man. They're going through the schedule. Green light, green light, green light, green light. <laughs> you can already know. I'm going out there. I'm going out there. I'm going out there. I'm like, you know, but it, you know, that was the league back then. And, and you're kind of explaining to these guys, you don't stay over anymore. You're always flying to the next city. You're always yep. going somewhere. And so you try to just talk to them about being a pro, talk to them about consistency, talk to them about, these people are paying money to watch us play. You need to show up every night. Like you can't take nights off. Do you and, ever just shake your head and like, and are so grateful that you played in the era that you did? Because you mentioned it like, yeah, they fly out all the time. They don't get to stay over. There are always cell phones ever. You can't let loose. Because even when I, I came into the I, league, uh, no one had cell phones. Believe it or not, uh, we flew commercial. <laughs> Which, and I yeah. had one seat. <laughs> so that's the bad part. The one bad part. <laughs> but I remember talking to Andrew Burnett or Owen Nolan. He's like, gosh, when we used to fly in, all the boys would go to the payphone bank, call our wives, tell her where we were in, or our girlfriends or whatever, and then we'd go have dinner, have a couple beers, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Like, do, do, do you just think about how different it would have been if you had been playing right now, how much oh, it would have sucked? Well, cell phone cameras and Twitter and Instagram and all the technology and all the stuff, yeah, it's great, and it's good to build people's brands and do all that stuff. But when you got – like when Twitter first started James Van Riemsdyk and Briz Galloff. Oh no. <laughs> you know, they, these guys are on Twitter and they're, you know, people, you suck. What do you, you know, especially in Philly, right? You suck. You're terrible. Hey, better. Dad. And I'm like, I, I go, Reamer, why do you even look at that garbage? Get off Twitter, leave it alone. Focus on your game, like focus on playing, then do that. Don't let that stuff get into your psyche and, and ruin your career and ruin your game like and briz just don't even go there <laughs> well was he as big of a i wasn't i didn't even think of him was he a big of a space cadet as they make it out to be on tv uh yeah some of you know what nice guy yeah i i don't have a problem with briz but i think how everything ended in philly and i'm gonna do this one time i'm gonna tell you right now i played with him in anaheim so i knew him the shit that he was doing in, in Philly at the end, that wasn't going to happen. Like, after every goal, pointing at the defenseman, <laughs> pointing at the forwards, it's never his fault. Yeah. Go back in your crease, shut your mouth, and yeah. stop the puck. That's your job. You do your job, we'll do our job. You know, that nobody was there to do that, and or he wouldn't listen to them. And you got to, you know, it just do your job. Like, it's not that hard. Stop pointing. Stop embarrassing players or we'll embarrass you. Yeah. You know, like, it's like the quarterback that's giving his lineman crap. Oh, yeah? You don't want to do that. You're I'm protecting you. <laughs> you're about, have you played with guys who you just dislike? 
Like it just, cause I, I've been there and it's just guys, you just, what you would never hang out with outside of the rink. It, how do you manage those guys being a leader? Uh, um, trying to think. No, you've been 20 years, all your best friends. That's no, nice no, uh, no, no, not, not best friends, but, <laughs> but you know, maybe guys that maybe you don't connect with, but I don't know if I ever played with a guy that I was like, no, that guy's an asshole. Yeah. You know, where you're just like, yeah, I don't, you know, for the most part, I think I know. I don't know if I play with a guy like that. I mean, there's guys that I'm like, you know, he's going to go do his thing. I'll do my thing. And, you know, yeah. go your way, I'll go my way. And, you know, you're in the rink, you're talking hockey, you're on the ice, you're, you know, you know, or, you know, you have, you know, stuff in practice, you get into it with guys, whatever. I mean, that's people, the media, as you know, take that stuff and blow it up and, you know, I almost fought a couple of guys in practice. Oh, that happens every year. Exactly. Yeah. And and they blow it up like, oh, what happened there? I'm like, it's a physical game. Yeah. Two guys that are competitive going at it. And, you know, that happens. <laughs> I talked about it on the show. I, I choked slam Patrick Kane in a bar one time. Like it happens. Yeah. It, you know, <laughs> it, it happens. So we move on. You know, I, I want to go back to your trading thing. All, all your trades, your movements. When you, you're a player of your caliber, you don't get moved that often. Why did you get traded so often? I, I, I was thinking about this. You got traded four times, always for like two first rounders, a first rounder and a prospect. You and Shanny got traded. Like it was massive blockbuster deals. Why would a team want to get rid of Chris Pronger? Uh, well, I, when I was in Hartford, uh, I went in. In my contract, I had uh, a clause that said I had to train in Hartford, you know, for X amount of time before the season. After my second year, after, you know, we had the lockout, finished the year. I'm like, I went into Jim Rutherford, who was the new GM, and I'm like, Jim, not going to happen. I'm not coming back here to train. And, you know, and we had in our year-end meeting, and he's like, oh, Chris, you're our franchise player. We're building around you, man. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, as you know now the kiss of death you're gone yeah so it was so based was, over off-season I workouts in, i was back home and paul holmgren was the head coach yeah flew up to see me and you know we went fishing we actually had just finished musky fishing come back have a nice dinner he leaves in the morning again no cell phones he gets to thunder bay calls into the office yeah, I just saw Chris. He's doing great. Oh, by the way, we just traded him. No. <laughs> Where'd you trade him? To St. Louis. For who? Shanny. I'm like, oh, great. Then I got there, you know, 10 years. Another lockout. I was in the lockout. Well, not actually. I was a player rep. I wasn't even on the committee. Player rep. You know, we sit out the whole year. I said a couple things that the owner didn't like uh president whatever and it you know it was time you know there was a few things that transpired over the time i was there that i was a little disillusioned and they probably were too and they they were probably you know they were like well let's move on off to edmonton, I got to edmonton you know the story <laughs> well tim doesn't <laughs> and then uh uh got to anaheim and again same thing Berkey brought me in. I was a Berkey guy. Yeah. Bob Murray took over. I'm not a Bob Murray guy. I mean, he didn't bring me there. My contract was coming up. He wanted to remake the team and I don't know, we'll make it younger, whatever. And uh, they were lowballing me on a 
on an extension or actually never really even made an offer. And uh, actually the other, the, the two teams that were trying to trade for me were Philly and San oh, Jose. Right. Huh? And uh, Bob, I'm almost positive was using San Jose to leverage back up Philly because he ain't dumb enough to send me to San Jose. Right. Same division. You're Eight not going to enjoy you're not going to enjoy your nights, Anaheim. <laughs> Getzlaff was like, no, no, no. Send him to Philly. We're fine. Yeah. And I don't then think Leo would like that one. The biggest trade when you get traded to Arizona with Huge. Nicholas Grossman. How was that? How was that trade? Was that unexpected? <laughs> Another nice salary dump to the Coyotes. <laughs> They're the kings of it. I love it. They just take a, you, Datsu, Grossman, everybody. Yeah. All right, yeah. Tim, what are we talking about now? Well, I want to ask about your playing style. So you're obviously famous for, for playing a little bit gritty, a little mean. You've had a few suspensions, and that's part of your game. How, when you were playing, like, how was your approach? What was your mindset in terms of, like, what's the line? When do you cross it? And, and how, do you, how do you know when you got too far? Like, how, how, looking back, what was your mindset you're there? assuming there's a line. Eight suspensions. The first problem is you assume. Don't yeah. assume. Uh, I'll tell you right now, there was no line. It was – I learned early on as a kid, be unpredictable. I always, the way I played is the way I played all the time. That's just the way I played. From the time I turned, I think, 13 when hitting started, uh, from a physical perspective, you know, I I was always, I guess, one of the taller kids of the team. And just, you know, you're all, as John knows, when you're tall, everybody looks at you as kind of the guy that needs to play physical. And you got to, if somebody else in the team is playing physical, you got to hit and, you know, blah, blah, whatever. And, you know, I like playing physical. It's just this style. It it kept me involved in the game. Even if I wasn't providing offense, I was providing a physical presence, being a shutdown D, you know, moving the puck. And then, you know, as I got older, it just – I got a temper and, you know what, spearing guys in junior, cross-check them in the teeth or whatever – you know, it's also a way to get a little bit of space. And, you know, when you're unpredictable, you may drop the gloves, you may cross-check them, you may spear them, you may lift a stick and take the puck. If the other player doesn't know what you're going to do, and oh, by the way, I didn't know what I was going to do, that's going to give you that extra second to to make a play or to lift a stick and take the puck or or to give them pause or concern or a little hesitation, and now the play is gone. And so you use it as a... a piece of your repertoire and, and a part of your game. And then as, you know, you get a reputation and as you early on, you know, I was used to get a lot of penalties. And then as you form the relationship with the referees and they then, you know, you stop telling them to F off and start like, Hey, what do I need to do to be better? And how can I do this? And, you know, then they start talking on the ice more like, Hey, you got to calm it down a little less. Don't slash him back there. Don't cross check them. <laughs> Watch your stick. And, you know, as they're talking to you, you're kind of looking like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And just maybe inching down just a touch. <laughs> Tim, I'll tell you this. When we played Anaheim in my first year in Minnesota, I was more nervous of Chris than I was of George Peros. And George was like one of the reigning tough guys. He was so intimidating with the stash. We would go into Anaheim or Anaheim would come to Minnesota. I was more scared of Chris. <laughs> and that's the truth because you didn't know what to get. I knew a George. I knew how he could fight. You know, yeah. you, knew, you don't know what these guys. Sheldon Surrey was like that. There was a few yeah. guys you just kind of give them their room. Just leave them be. And yeah, I try to blow them up if I could, but I'm not like, 
not stupid, you know, like I, I've seen what he's, his uh, reputation. like Cam Jansen one night came to hit me. He was, I think he was in Jersey and I was in Philly. He came to hit me again. Probably it would have been maybe a little late, especially it would have been really late nowadays, but it was probably borderline back then. And I just boop right in the schnoz. <laughs> boom, down he goes. I look at him, I go, and by the way, Cam used to play when I was playing for the blues was playing like Banta midget hockey and played in St. Louis, right where we practiced. So I knew him and I'm like, you know, better than that kid. Like, what are you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> he gets up and like, but prongs, that's how I gotta do that. <laughs> that's funny. I know Cam is, it didn't hurt him at all. All right. A couple more questions and we'll let you get out of here. Um, gosh, there's so many, Tim Philadelphia, Chicago, Stanley cup final. What did you think of getting blown up by Bufflin? Was it just blown out of proportion? Like it, it oh, was just when he hit me the one. You mean the one? Yeah. Hit he, he, the one time he hit me, and then everybody not, jumped oh, out the, the train. Not the other twenty times when he was just laying on his ass. I didn't see those, Chris. Yeah, yeah. They don't show those highlights. There's but does a, that bother I have you? a picture from Game One where I remember. You know, when you're watching, you're prepping for stuff. You're watching him being a being a hero in front of the net against Vancouver, being a hero, doing all the stuff he was doing. I'm like, okay, Game One, boy, you're gonna get it. I friggin' laid him out. He was on the ice. I looked at him. I go, let's go, big boy. Come on. Let's go. And he just laid there and looked up at me. I'm like, well, then all, all series long. And by the way, one game after I played, by the way, was on one leg. I had surgery after that playoff on one leg, one hit. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Did I not just get right up and, and, and join the play? Like, what is the deal? <laughs> you don't seem too bitter i feel like you've gotten over it but yeah. when you think of that series when you think of that they show that over and oh, over and over well, again because now nowadays they would probably the, the the somebody would sue the chicago tribune i think it was a tribune or one of the they had a picture of me in my practice gear but they put uh a skirt on me and Chrissy Pronger. I'm like, well, they'd get sued for that nowadays. Oh yeah. They would lose everything. Everything yeah. would be gone. But uh, I just, I thought he dominated you all series. Oh God. No, oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Joel started trying to get him away from me. Oh no. Oh, that's so oh, funny. Absolutely all right. Not a couple more. Who was your favorite D partner in your career? Favorite partner. Uh, I had a few. I, I love playing with Sean O'Donnell in, in Odie. Love Odie. He's the beauty. Uh, I did. It, you know what? It was a perfect fit for me. You know, he and the system that we played, he'd step up in the middle. I'd go back and get the puck. Uh, it was a, a great fit. I enjoyed playing with Matt Carl in Philly. Matty. Um, in St. Louis, I bounced around. I had probably 30 partners. Uh, played with Mike Van Ryan one year for the whole year. Um, Hartford, obviously, Brad McCrimmon was a mentor and, and uh, tough son of a gun. I roomed with him on the road. Here's a young eight. I'm sure he was excited. Here's a young 18 year old. I'm rooming with a 36 year old Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> that great. Beat it, kid. That's funny. All right. Who was the hardest forward to defend? I always had a problem with short guys. Yeah. You know, from a leverage perspective, getting down, like Steve Sullivan, I played against him in junior, just getting down that far. And, you know, once you get a hold of them, yeah. But but when they're in open space and, and freed up, um, I don't know if there was a guy that I, I hated to play. Yeah. 
you know, like, oh, I love playing Forsberg. I love playing, um, you know, against guys like that. Like Forsberg, you want to play physical all the time. I'm like, okay, let's go. Yeah, gosh, those <laughs> matchups are great. You know, so I love playing against, you know, Fedorov and just I like more the challenge in the matchup and yeah. trying to figure out, okay, this is whoever my partner was. I'm like, this is our job. These guys yeah. don't get a sniff tonight. Well, you've, you've been four Olympics. That's a record, I think, for men's hockey. Who is like, who's the best player you've ever played against or with? Like, the, the best. Well, I played against uh, with Gretzky in yeah. St. Louis, you know, latter not in his prime, his, though. Latter, latter part of his career. Yeah. Played with Mario and against Mario. I mean, it was when he was top shelf. And yeah. no, I don't, he does not get enough credit for how good a skater he was. He, because he had that long loping stride, people don't realize how fast he was. When I first played against him and I'm watching him, I wasn't expecting it. So I wasn't yeah. moving the way I should have been moving. And I was like, he was already on top of me. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's flying. Was Sundin like that too? Because everybody always gave Sundin a hard time about his speed too. I'm like, he's actually moving pretty good, I think. Yeah, no, it, it's, and, and he had the same stride, that long, powerful, rangy stride. Yeah. Tall, you know, Mario's six five, Sundin six four, six five. Like you watch them move around the ice, they get around pretty good for big guys. Yeah, you too, by the way. You're six six. All right, let's a couple more. Sorry, I I, I don't want to end this interview. Young defenseman right now in the game. You got Mo Sider, you got Owen Power, you got the you know, the older guys, Victor Hedman, these guys. Yeah. Who do you see as the next Chris Pronger? Which one do you think is is your skill set? Uh, I would say Mo Sider probably fits it the most. Yeah. You know, obviously, when I was in Florida, it was draft year and, you know, scouted him and loved the way he plays. Great kid, great personality. Um, uh, you know, Owen Power, I started scouting him when he was 14, when he played for the Chicago Steel. Uh, you know, love the way he plays. He's, you know, the way he plays now, he played similar at the age of 14. Like, it was pretty impressive. Is that you know, right? Probably six five back then. Could I mean could way better skater than me? Uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't play with the edge, but you know gifted offensively for his size, really good skater. Is he? Impressive, I haven't seen him much. Impressive yeah. skater back you know back then. I haven't seen him. I saw him play a couple games at Buffalo, but looked good to me. Yeah. Looked good. He looks. You know, I you think he'll make that team. You think Buffalo has a chance now with him and Darlene? Any anything? That's all. No. It's two players. Like, yeah. Who else? <laughs> you know, like, Skinner, Chris. He's having a good year. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> His silence um, speaks volumes. And who do they have in net? You know, they, Craig they Anderson. Couple, he's turning back the clock. They got a couple prospects. You know, it's, there's a lot of. There's a lot to fill in. There's a lot of, they have two positions. That's two great pieces. Yeah. We've got a lot to fill in. And Oh, by the way, Darlene's up for a new contract. Yeah, it's true. And then he's going to want 10 million bucks. Yeah. So now you're going down that same path of how do we keep this guy? With the GM in Buffalo. How do we, you know, you know, it's no different. Like when you have a choice, if you're not, if you're a player and you have a choice of where you want to play Buffalo is, is Buffalo really first on your list? Like, uh, no offense to Buffalo, but look around the league. I know. You want to play in a big market. You want to play in 
you know, and there's been some great players that have played in Buffalo and have loved it. And I've got lots of friends that live there and they love it. Talking about me, right? Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Damn it, Chris. All right. Tim does quick hits. He loves doing it. Everybody on the show does it. The best one I think we've had has been Ray Bork. No pressure. So go ahead, Tim. Just rapid fire questions. First one, uh, favorite vacation spot? Ooh. Well, in season or out of season? Out of season. Oh, oh, so we can go anywhere. Anywhere. Uh, London. London, oh, Ontario? England. England. I was going to say, Waterloo's there. <laughs> uh, favorite sport besides hockey? Golf. Ooh. What's Is your favorite fishing book? A sport? Yeah, fishing's a sport. Bassmasters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite book? Ooh, uh, what am I reading right now? Uh, let's have a look. See, <laughs> those books are so dusty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what is it? It's called uh, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Yeah, yeah. Reading it right now. What was your favorite subject in school? Math. Nice. That doesn't surprise. Uh, if someone made a movie about your life, who would play you? Ooh, I don't know. My hairline's getting a little thin. Uh, ooh. I got a beard like Leo, but I don't think that matches up. The height is uh, the Mel part. Gibson. Mel, Gibson. I like Mel. Yeah. The crazy. Uh, last question. Last question. What was the best advice you ever got? Oh, I got a lot. Uh, on the ice, I would say be unpredictable mm. and uh, consistency day in, day out, practice game, whatever. Uh, bring it uh, off. Off the ice, uh, professionalism, and, um, you know, basically on a couple things. Treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, too often we meet people and we're like, that guy's a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then really just live the life you want to live. YOLO. Life, low. Lilo. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. I got one more question. So, when you were working for Kintel, the player safety, you came to Arizona. Yeah. And you pulled me and Steve Downey aside. You took us in the side room and you said, I'm going to be watching you guys this year. And I got my eye on you. Was that your idea to come and put the the fear of God in us? Did you hate doing that? Uh, You know what? I had to go. So, I did that one. I had to go talk to uh, Philadelphia. Uh, you know, I'm who was there, Rose Hill, Rosie. Uh, I had to go talk to Gudis, oh, I had to go on. talk to Shen, and I had to talk to Hexy. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, boys, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and say, I had to talk to Braden, he was kind of getting high every hit, whatever. I'm like, listen, just <clears throat> kind of come in like that, whatever. Yeah, you hit how you hit, it is what it is. Gudis, it was more just he was on the edge and. The next, you know, I think he, we had just suspended him maybe four or five games. And it was like, you're not going to like the next one. Yeah. It's it's now we've ramped up to this point. The next one's not going to be pretty. And, and then you guys and, dinged me up for three suspensions that year. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have did what you did. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? Hey. As Berkey says, it's the cost of doing business. <laughs> it is. You play on that line. Stinking Tim Jackman will knock it out of my way. I kept knocking him out every time I'd see him. <laughs> Just go to sleep on the ice. I didn't I didn't get it. 
But anyways, Chris, I don't want, I know you got to hit to the airport, pick up your kid. I really appreciate it. My friend, this was great. I am excited to see what you're cooking up on Twitter. We'd love to have you on again, do a little more deep dive into the finance stuff. I like love that stuff. I'm a big math guy myself. So I appreciate it, my friend. I'm glad you're doing so well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And if you need a loan, call me after this. (laughs) Slide you a couple dollars. I can cut you. The VIG only works every other day. (laughs) 72% interest. We'll we'll make it work. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Chris Pronger, for being on the show, man. It was a pleasure. Pleasure's all All ours. It's time. After that epic interview with Chris Pronger, we got two games, points bet. You nailed it last time with the over overbid. I don't really care for overbids, but you did it. I went two for one, continuing my success streak. We got two games tonight. Just four teams that are just unbelievably strong. Islanders, Canadians versus and then the Jets versus the Panthers. Who do you got? And are you doing the over under? That silly thing. You're just going straight winners, first of all. Uh, not every time. You you got you got to call them when you see it. And by the yeah, way, not true. just they didn't just hit the over. There were twelve goals in that game. I just want to. I feel good about it, and my mortgage is paid now. Do you and get so, more money for more goals, or is it just a standard payout? No, I was so confident that I bet a lot of money. Oh, and then, you did. Oh boy, yeah. Tim, good for you. All right, well, let's hit it. I hit it out of the park again tonight, Tim. Let's call both games. Uh, I like Islanders over Canadians and uh, Panthers over Jets. All right, I'll take the Canadians, and I'll take the Panthers as well. I just think the Canadians <laughs> are due. They lost last game. I picked them. Now, the Islanders have been playing well, but I liked they got to get a win. I like the Canadians. I'm going Canadians and Panthers, just so there's going to be a winner between us. You know, I like a little competition there. But anyways, everybody, thank you for listening. Unbelievable interview with Chris Pronger, Hall of Famer, done everything in hockey. Check it out. It's unbelievable. Tell your friends. Give us a five-star. We'll see you next week after Easter. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.